I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, gearheads. It's John Massengill sitting in studio with Les Kaiser. How are you, Mr. Kaiser? I am doing well. Mr. Jonathan Green is not in studio. He was at Road America this weekend for the Trans Am Series, doing the commentary for those guys out there. That that British voice uh, calling the racing with all those uh, American Camaros, Mustangs, and Challengers. Uh, so, yeah, Mr. Green's not going to be with us in the show today. But we got to see a pretty good race for the Formula One, back in action after the summer break at Spa, Les. I think that I'm pretty happy with uh, with that race. I was a little, it was a little dominant by Sebastian Vettel who won the race. But what do you think? Yeah, it was, it was. But uh, you know, certainly the first lap excitement is uh, something that we've come to expect at Spa. It is a uh, interesting, more than 90 degree turn. It uh, has a lot more speed at that turn. It appears then the Circuit of the Americas where we have it on top of a hill. This has a slight hill climb, but nothing uh, as extreme as Coda's. It's a uh, a great track. Having walked completely around that track, I can tell you the elevation changes. The views of the apexes are very interesting. Auberge is an exciting place to go, intimidating, I guess, if you're huh. not confident of it. For sure, because that one has such elevation. Uh, earlier, we talked about it being something of a, a reverse version of the Laguna Seca corkscrew. If you were to go up the corkscrew instead of coming down it in that, it does have some differences there. All right, I'm going to run down the final standings for Spa. So, obviously, Sebastian Vettel wins the race. Lewis Hamilton in second. Max Verstappen third. Valtteri Bottas fourth. Uh, Perez and Ocon, five and six for the Force India team. That's uh, We're going to talk a lot about that. And then uh, six and seven, the Haas team, Grosjean, then Magnussen. So good day for the Haas boys. Nice little jump in points, catching the Renault team by about 16 points, I think, today, because Carlos Sainz uh, finished in 11th, and Hulkenberg did not finish. But so after... After the Haas team, you had Pierre Gasly in ninth, Erickson 10th, Carlos Sainz 11th, Sergei Sorotkin 12th, Lance Stroll in the Williams in 13th, Hartley in 14th. Hartley was up in the points at one point. And Stoffel Van Dorn in 15th. And the rest of the field did not finish. So we had like 25% of the field didn't finish. Ricardo, Raikkonen, Leclerc, Alonso, and Hulkenberg. Let's go to Jonathan in Farmington, Connecticut. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. Did you get to watch or hear the race today at Spa? I watched most of it. Uh, my daughter, my teenage daughter, contacted me, and uh, I had to go pick her up, so I got to listen to you guys on the radio. Awesome. So you got to uh, uh, you got to listen and watch. But so did you see the uh, did you see the turn one debacle? Yes. 
Uh, let me ask you this. What do you think about the halo after that? I think it's great. Yeah, there was so much controversy, you know, and it was it, it today. I think it proved its metal. But but Jonathan, I appreciate you tuning in today. Hey, and- I got it. So, Jonathan, what did you think before seeing this halo put through this stress? I'm I'm all about safety. I'm I'm really I, I just you know having grown up, I'm an old guy, and I go back to the '60s with all this stuff, and you know I watched Grand Prix, you know the original great Formula One movie, which really oh, yeah. ignited a lot of passion for me. I just don't like seeing people, you know, get killed or end up with life-threatening or, you know, career-threatening injuries. So whatever it takes to make people safer, I'm okay with. You know, I'm, I'm totally with that. And, uh, you know, the Grand Prix, that's cool. If you Have you ever been to Austin? I have not been to Austin. Well, each year at some point, one of the theaters throws out a, uh, they'll put Grand Prix on the screen and run it here locally. It's kind of cool. I, th- that week is uh, is just something that they do building up to it. And uh, it's fun getting in the racing spirit. Well, Jonathan, since you've never been to Austin, how about a pair of tickets to come see the Formula One race here in October? Uh, that would work for me. That'll work. Well, <laughs> awesome. <be> all right. <laughs> uh, well, great. Well, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And hold on the line, and we're going to get your info and get you some tickets out to you. Thank you so much. All, All right. Have a bet. good day, Jonathan. You too, guys. This is awesome. Oh, you bet. Hey, and be sure, uh, you know, check out the tickets. They are available at circuitoftheamericas.com. Circuit O-D-O Americas. Yep. It's going to be, uh, you know, look, man, we're, this is, the Circuit of the Americas is going to be a good uh, a good race because the, the championship is still going to be hot and heavy, hopefully, because we've got, you know, Sebastian Vettel took, what, seven points out of, Lewis Hamilton's lead, so we're now down to a a, a nice little 17-point gap there. So Circuit of the Americas is going to be the place to be in October. All right, let's talk about that that crash, because we did just talk about that halo. We saw the on the replay, you saw where the entire car, the force of Alonzo's car, came down directly on that halo. And we saw the during the race at the beginning, we saw the replay and went, ooh, that that looked like it came right down on it. And at the very end of the race, we saw the paint just completely removed off of that halo. So there is no doubt that that car came down on the halo. And I think you can pretty safely say that that, that could easily have saved uh, Leclerc's life or at least big injury, no doubt. So that, that's a big part of today's race. I agree. I don't know that we've seen such an obvious uh, use of the halo and uh, hopefully we won't, but uh, I, th- I think we've seen it definitely has done its job now. Yes, sir. It has done its job. So right, let's talk about that that uh, beginning of the race because it was there was a lot of going on there. We had uh, we had uh, Botas hit at turn one. Ricardo got hit and lost his rear wing. And like we I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, but he lost his rear wing and ended up going down a couple laps. And eventually being taken out of the race uh, with, I don't know, about halfway through after the pit stop cycle. And uh, there was a couple of really good moves during the race. Botas passing Hartley through all rouge on lap eight. Uh. And really the race was decided in the pit stop cycle on lap 22 because there was about that. There was just a little over the required 18 second gap, right? Yeah, it's an 18 second uh, investment in a pit. So that really tightened things up. 
to have Vettel have to basically, uh, you know, you got to, it's going to be no less than 18 seconds going through that. So he had the stretch and he came out and he truly did come out within just a second or two. It was absolutely no more than a second. And then by the time they got to the next DRS detection zone, he had exceeded the one second requirement. So that got Hamilton out of DRS uh, enablement there. So that was big. Yeah, so Vettel came out just in front of, of Verstappen, right? And then Hamilton passed Verstappen on the camel straight, and that's where the race finished. So it was, but that was that was one of the most exciting parts of the of the race action besides the uh, besides the lap one. But there were some other good ones. There was a there was a good part in the middle of the race where Hartley and Erickson were swapping spots. Hey, and that was total DRS. It was an excellent move. You know, we we talk about the DRS and and what its purpose is. And there was its functionality showing it was like they were very evenly matched and it was uh, lap for lap, a few swaps several times there. Yeah. And there was a couple of, uh, <laughs> I said earlier, but there was a, there was a great spot, a great uh, radio transmission from the Haas team when they, when the engineer said to the, uh, said to Grosjean, he said, nice job, dude. Uh, keep it up. I thought that was great with the bringing a little Americanism. I think he had his hand up in the air waving the old Hawaiian, <laughs> you know, cool dude sign. Cool dude. Yeah. Hey, so, so we talked about it on the earlier show that uh, we dissected the wreck and what happened in turn one. Now, we don't yet know why or how Hulkenberg managed to rear end Fernando Alonso, but yeah. we know... Uh, Brakes did not function, whether it was because there wasn't a foot on him in time or a failure, but uh, he rear-ended Alonzo. Alonzo's nose went to the right of Charles Leclerc and then hit the left pod of Alonzo's car on the back tire of Leclerc, launching him up into the air. He was clearly uh, you know, two or three feet above Leclerc's head, and then dropped, landing directly on the halo crosswise, but directly on that. And so you can see all of that going on. And it came down because Alonzo had been hit on the side pod. Fluids went flying out and immediately went all over Leclerc. Which uh, So imagine if that was fuel, what that would have been. Yeah, yeah, good point. And we had the halo and everything. But, you know, I've already seen a fantastic picture of this happens to be from our buddy mark and keith sutton look at sutton images on facebook yeah that's an awesome check out this amazing photo that one of the guys caught out of that team yep uh so so other good spots at the beginning of the race there was uh uh there was a nice pass by verstappen on ocon on lap six remember that uh he was he was using the drs and went left, went right, and then passed Ocon. I mean, Ocon's in the Mercedes-powered car, so there's there's not like a huge, uh, not like that that Verstappen was kind of up there with a, a giant speed delta. I mean, he did because of of DRS, but that was a really nice pass by Verstappen. Really was. It was good, and you know, uh, everybody did the right thing there. Remember, F1's got that rule: you cannot change twice. You cannot move twice to block. Somebody coming up on you. He did it right. He followed the rules, uh, played it safe. Verstappen made a clean pass on it right there and was done. There was really no reason for them to get in a serious battle 
the points aren't there. Those two aren't close anywhere near each other point-wise. So it, it's just not worth the risk to either one of them. Yeah, we hadn't even talked about it, but Botas starting at the back of the grid was uh, – he did a great job today because his job was to not crash, stay out of the melees, and get back up in as high as he could into the points. And I'd say he achieved that perfectly. He looked good today. Absolutely. Great drive. There was a lot of great driving going on course once things got rolling. Uh, that's always tough is uh, when you go in as long as they did with the safety car on course uh, for that long, it's questionable what's going to happen next. Have everybody calmed their nerves to get back into the routine? Are they anxious trying to make take advantage of the close grouping of all the cars? Could have very easily created a second time. Yeah, and of course, Raikkonen had a rough day today, and they, I didn't hear the final for sure, but he probably damaged the underside of the car. He was complaining that he couldn't get it to go in a straight line, and so rough day for Ferrari. I, obviously, I want to see the, the constructors' battle stay as tight as the drivers' championship, and didn't want to see Raikkonen go out of this race, but it did happen, um, and and Raikkonen. Um, was having had to go out of the race and with with a damaged car, but uh, but the race after that incident kind of settled into a nice rhythm, and Vettel kept Hamilton pretty much at arm's length for the for the good bit until that gap, and and of course Hamilton, I mean uh, Botas coming through the back, but it was a good it was a good little rhythm and and the race settled in, and we did have uh, we did have some good racing throughout in the middle of the in the middle of the field like we saw. Haas team kind of did the same thing, actually. They kind of settled into a rhythm there and and ended up with, what, seventh and eighth right now. So a nice, nice, points. nice points. Another double points for our American Haas F1 team. And there was a um, there was another good radio. Uh, oh, I know what it was. It was Verstappen at the end of the race. Do you remember when he was <laughs> – there was no chance he was going to – Is there any rain? Yeah. He said, Please? What did he say? Any, I think his quote was, is there any chance for rain? You could almost hear the desperation in his voice like, I'm just hanging out here. There's nothing else I can do until, the, until something happens in front of me or, or if the rain comes. You bet. And, you know, that, that is one. We, sp- we spoke about it. That area, you can see how lush green it is down there. There's always rain and moisture in the area. I know when I was on the way to the track, we got a little bit of it. Uh, we had a couple of mist throughout the day but uh nothing impacted the racing if you ever get the opportunity to go to spa francorchamps do it yeah you went there a couple of years ago that's awesome uh i was talking about the points there was a seven point reduction in the lead there was a 10 point reduction in the gap to Renault for the haas f1 team 18 points for for the force india team and we're going to talk some more about that because if you think about that where would the Force India team. So they were at 59. That would put them, let's see, 18 points, 77 points. And Renault's in uh, fourth currently with 82 points. So if you think about that, I mean, we've got a team that is uh, struggling for points and is, I mean, struggling with the financial area and, and could easily have ended up in fourth place. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and take our break. And when we come back, we're going to continue discussion. If you're uh, if you're on hold for some tickets, hold through the break. We'll get to you right after that. You're listening to Speed City live in Austin. Back after these messages. Hey. 
Hey beer people, it's Christine Sellers. And I'm Daytona. Sellers Brewery is back in Austin and brewing again. Oh, Sellers doesn't ring a bell for some of you? Well, for the last 17 years, we've been crafting the perfect comeback. We've returned to our roots with Sellers White, a famous local favorite. Plus, we're creating some fresh new brews. And whether it's the first time you've tasted our family's legendary beer, or the millionth, we're thrilled to be back. Swing by your local store, watering hole, or our brewery, and let's catch up over beers. Sellers, Austin's original craft brewery. MB Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MB Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MB Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Break Lane, just east of I-35. Are you craving an adrenaline rush? Well, get your fix at Dirtfish. Get sideways on one of our race-ready Subaru WRX STIs or Subaru BRZs. Learn advanced car control skills on any surface in any condition. Test your skills on 12 different rally courses across our 315-acre training facility. Get your adrenaline fix by visiting dirtfish.com. Talk 1370. Hello, I'm Jenny Gow from BBC F1. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Let's go to Mason in Seattle. Mason, how are you today? I'm doing great. Did you get to watch all the race today? Yeah, I did. So what would you think? Uh, I thought it was a great great because i i'm a big fan of verstappen and i thought he performed really well today and uh big moments in this race well you sound like you're about the same age as max verstappen (laughs) yeah what so mason where are you calling from i'm from seattle ah seattle all right well have you ever been to the race here in austin i have not well how'd you like to go we got a couple tickets with your name on them to come see the Formula One race, the United States Grand Prix, right here in Austin in October. That would be incredible. I would love that. All right. Well, uh, hey, man. Well, we got the tickets covered for you. So we, there you go. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, I've got friends there in Seattle. They say Seattle's a lot like Austin except wetter. So, you know, you might not <laughs> yeah. have to bring your galoshes, but uh, come on down. <laughs> okay. All right. Mason, hang on the line. We'll get your uh, info. Appreciate you listening today. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, let's go. Let's go out to Melvin in Louisiana. Melvin, how's it going this morning? Hello, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, priorities. Do you have the boiling pot already fired up this Sunday morning? Uh, well, we're going to get to that a little bit later this afternoon. All righty, <laughs> good cold to beat it. As far as uh, the challenges, what did you think from the time the grid started and it was all mixed up in everybody's placement to how it played out through the race? Was that uh, was that anything like what you would have predicted? Um, you know that's a hard turn, right? You know the first turn's always a hard turn, and you know there's there's going to be a you know some, some kind of melee going in there. Uh, 
just didn't expect it to be as extreme as it was today. Yeah. Uh, and like y'all mentioned earlier, you know, the, the halo proved itself today. Hey, Larry, I got to ask you, how did you get to, uh, excuse me, Melvin, Melvin, how did you get uh, to be a Formula One fan? I've been one since I've, um, I'm 58 years old. I've been one just as far back as I can remember, uh, you know, uh, Donahue and Hill racing and so on and so forth. And uh, just tried to keep up with it over the years. Fantastic. Well, thanks for tuning in today. How uh, have you been to uh, you ever been to a race here in Austin, the United States Grand Prix? No, not been to a race there. Been to Austin, but not been to uh, been to the track there. Well, how'd you like to go to the Formula One United States Grand Prix this year here? I, I can't imagine anything better. Well, we got you covered, buddy. We're going to put a couple of tickets with your name on them. And why don't you hang on the line, and we'll get your info, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you here in Austin. Great. Great. Right. That's just awesome. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Keep tuning in next week and all the subsequent weeks, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yes, sir. Thank you. You bet. Pinch one and suck it for me. All righty. <laughs> Man, <laughs> oh, talk about- uh, that's crawfish talk, folks. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> oh, Melvin, I love his yeah. accent. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for calling in, Melvin. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, I, I right, love uh, I love going to Louisiana. I will tell you, one of my favorite cities in the world is New Orleans, and, and for that matter, all the small places around it. I can't bring myself to do it. I have not. I'm not a crawfish head sucker. Whatever you, however you eat those things. Pinch and suck. Oh yeah, yeah. Now there's they're good. Yeah, Formula One. That would that would be a cultural shock to <laughs> Formula One folks traveling to the U.S. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the talk here about the race today. It was uh, it was a good race. I think that I would be happy if I had known how it was going to turn out before, but just because we had a big wreck, nobody got hurt. So it's great. The halo did its job today, and we had some good racing in the middle, and uh, I, and it continues the battle. We've got Vettel now cutting some of the lead out of Hamilton, and it's super tight. I mean, we're talking uh, what seventeen points now. So, you know, at the in our pre-show, we talked about the fact that all it would take would be one DNF and one first place from Vettel, DNF from Hamilton, and, and a first place from Vettel. Well, now now it's tighter than that, and that's where we want it to be. We want it to be race race to race. Don't know who's going to be leading the championship after we're done. Right, I'm totally there with you. I. Uh... You know, it'll keep the season alive longer. You know, if you, there's been a couple of years in the recent decade that the season was figured out about four races from the end. And I really, uh, really don't like to see that. You know, I don't wish, I don't want to wish somebody ill, but I do want to see it kept tight. I like that uh, Vettel made some ground on Hamilton today. Uh, Hamilton didn't go out. Had he gone out, it would really bring it in neck and neck and uh, serious battles, but Ferrari had to perform and had to deliver today to keep that alive. So they did. Great. I wish Kimmy had been in, but uh, I think they're going to be all right with that. You know, it's funny you say that. You know, we say that about, uh, you know, it still feels like we're talking like Mercedes is dominant and Hamilton's in the lead and Ferrari was desperate for the win today. But you know what? Ferrari's proven it. Um, a bunch of times, their car is probably the fastest car in the field right now. You bet. I could I could agree with that. It's uh, one of those, you know, Kimmy set a record. Uh, there's been quite a few of them doing it. I want to see uh, Ferrari stay up there. I do think that uh, Ferrari and Mercedes are going to be the ones that I will watch when we get to the power plant changes. 
Yes, I agree. And it is going to be, uh, you know, obviously with the Haas team, I have a Ferrari, you know, I'm, I'm an American and I'm rooting for the Haas team as much as I can. And with a Ferrari under the hood, so to speak, that we expect those changes to trickle down to the Haas team as much as they can. I know that you know, th- those those uh, power plants are not always equal amongst the manufacturer to their customers, but uh, but you still, know, uh, I'm I'm interested to see what Renault will do uh, with the new power plant change because Renault has historically done small engines, and uh, I mean that's in the real world production life, and so uh, you know there might be something to it that that is their norm. Mercedes, you know, as we know them stateside have been typically larger engines and uh, all through their production that wind up over here. So it may be, uh, we may be moving into Renault's uh, strong suit. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch the the Renault team, uh, obviously with a, a couple of uh, points ahead, a few points ahead now of the Haas team still. But uh, what other stories less today? Because, you know, we had Hamilton, and Vettel at the front of the field with Vettel winning the race. but And you had some good racing with Hartley and Erickson swapping the mill. But what other stories caught your eye today in the middle of the race? Oh, man. I think uh, just the attrition. Um, here's one thing. you know, If I dare say it, I hate to bring up tires, but the tires were too reliable. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more than the opportunity to just change your tire after the you know lap one melee and have it be enough to go through the race uh with an 18 second pit lane i would have liked to see them forced to use it again and mm-hmm. shake it up a little further yeah because that 18 second pit lane there that's a little tighter than some of the others i think the average is like 21 2021 20, throughout the calendar uh, speaking of Sebastian Vettel, the Formula One announced today that he is the driver of the day at the Belgian Grand Prix. So I guess I can't I argue guess. with that. I, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. 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 Then who would you pick? Because there were some good drives, but who would you pick if you don't pick Sebastian Vettel? Okay. I, I don't usually pick him, but uh, our buddy in Seattle might agree with me, Max. Did a great job. I was thinking the same thing. I thought if I had to choose somebody, uh, you know, I've I've been a little, I don't know, cranky with Max, the way he drives, but he's definitely settled down. He's settling in. And, you know, give him a break. How old is Max? 21 years old. He gets, he definitely should get a little bit of a break. But, but yeah, he had a pretty, pretty good drive today. The other, the other candidate in my mind, Valtteri Botas, you know, coming from the back all the way to fourth. And get doing exactly what his team expected him to do today. Got as high as he could in the points, and uh, no no crashes, no nothing in the back. So clean race for Valtteri Bottas as well. So I think anybody else come to mind on driver of the day? Uh, you know, uh, Kimmy did good. Tim uh, Timmy did all right. I just think there was, uh, you know, he, he had some bad luck in the beginning. Yep. All right, so we are hoping to get uh, on the line here in just a few minutes after this next break. We're hoping to get Christian Silt, and Christian Silt is the founder of Formula Money and as a contributor to Forbes magazine and talks all about the business side of Formula One. And the reason we want to get Christian on is because we want to talk about the Force India story. And it, it's, it had, because it has such ramifications throughout the grid, 
And, you know, with the way the business of Formula One is, every little maneuver can cost millions and millions of dollars because, you know, we forget that, like the Haas team and all the other Haas, Renault, Force India, all right there in mid-pack, those dollars are significant dollars. And so when Force India loses their 59 points and that changes the order of, of who gets what at the uh, at the end of the season, because I mean, really that's what everybody, I don't know how, if, if you're new to Formula One and you follow the championship, the driver's championship, yeah, obviously the driver's championship is exciting and fun to watch, but the real, the real force behind Formula One is the constructor championship because that's where all the money comes from. I mean, we're talking... What fifty million dollars in in that range or more, maybe on the mid pack guys, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big deal. Every dollar counts, and then you know you look at the fines. Remember a couple years ago when everybody was doing donuts after at the end of the race, and they started charging twenty five thousand pounds per donut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not the confectionery ones that Larry spoke of. But. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about the Formula One race back in action after the summer break at Spa today. You listen to Speed City. We're live in Austin, Texas. Back up to this message. ever wanted to be a race car driver? Well, you can at Dirtfish. Handle an all-wheel drive Subaru WRX SDI or rear-wheel drive Subaru BRZ rally car at our 350-acre training facility. Learn how to control a car in any situation, on any surface, in any condition. Go fast, get sideways. Get your adrenaline fix by visiting dirtfish.com. The Austin East KOA Campground, just 15 minutes from Circuit of the Americas and downtown Austin, and just two minutes from the Travis County Expo Center and Central Texas Fishing in Decker Lake, featuring amenities for every style of camping, from tent sites to luxury RV pull-throughs and cabins, plus a pool, showers, and laundry. Nestled in tall oak trees on the edge of the hill country, all the pleasures of the Lone Star State await you at Austin East KOA. To make your reservation, visit austineastkoa.com. Talk 1370. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to Speed City. We just got through watching the Spa Formula One race, the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, and it was a pretty good race. And lots of action at the beginning of the race, as expected. And uh, we just heard from Mr. Christian Silt. He's going to call in in just a moment here. We're going to talk a little bit about the business and the money of Formula One because Christian is the editor of Formula Money. But uh, let's give a little background because the main story with money in Formula One right now, which is such a big part of it, is the Force India story. And let me just give it some background. So the FIA approved Racing Point Force India F1 entry. And essentially, they're, they're just taking over the Force India team. And change of ownership there. And so a consortium led by of investors led by Canadian businessman Lawrence Stroll 
Yes, the father of Lance Stroll, Williams driver, has agreed to bring Force India out of bankruptcy, or administration as they call it there. And uh, uh, the FIA confirmed that joint administrators of Force India Formula One Team Limited have now completed the sale of the business and its assets to the consortium now known as Racing Point UK Limited. So Racing Point uh, Force India is now a completely new entity starting with no points. And and really, you know, we talked about this earlier less, but no points, but okay, you used up these engines, you used up these MGUs, these MG, all that. So right. it's kind of a hybrid, no pun intended, of of a new entity or not. And of course, uh, the, one of the things that's in that is the, the race drivers, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon, will keep their points in the driver standings, but the the constructors lose theirs. You're right, Les. This is kind of all over the board. It really is. I don't think uh, I don't think it's fair. Uh, I'm anxious to hear what he's going to say about this because uh, you know were were there points? Okay, so they also it's like we're going to penalize you for the engines that were consumed by the team that you purchased. Okay. Well, then you should get the good and the bad to me. Okay, then we keep our points, and when we get to the end of the season and we're, you know, fourth, fifth place, we get the fourth, fifth place money that comes from the season of racing as well that Formula One pays, distributes themselves. So I feel like there is a big, big disparity there to argue about. All right. Well, we can talk and argue and put up our uh, unsophisticated opinions, but or we can go out to our next guest, Christian Silt of Formula Money. Christian, welcome to the show, buddy. We appreciate you coming on. Hi. Good to be with you. Well, we have just been introducing the topic of the Force India uh, bankruptcy slash administration, as it's called there, and we're talking about... Yeah. Uh, the 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 difference really the the discrepancies between the drivers get to keep their points the teams don't get to keep their point the team doesn't but uh, but I want to get your take just to start with on on what happened how did this happen did the other did the former yeah, owners run out of money up to it yeah, yeah what led up to that how did we end up here well I mean <laughs> in a nutshell it, it's actually quite a uh, there's an interesting background as you know I mean the team was. Uh, own, had three owners, uh, two controlled it. So there's Vijay Malia, who is this uh, Indian, uh, colorful Indian businessman, uh, aviation entrepreneur. And then you had a company called Sahara, which was really a leisure conglomerate, big Indian leisure conglomerate. They each own 42.5%. So between them, uh, you know, you had the 80, uh, 85, and then you had 15% in the hands of a Dutch businessman who was really a legacy from the previous owners. Now, um, interestingly enough, both Malia and uh, Sahara got into extreme financial difficulties. Sahara was uh, needed to repay a huge sum of money, uh, well over a billion dollars, back to its investors. And the chairman of Sahara, and I believe he was the founder, uh, rather interestingly skipped court when uh, he was due to answer the charges of the fact that the, uh, the investors hadn't been paid back the money. So he was arrested. This is going back a few years. Um, and uh, he was then given parole, I think, in 2016. And then since then, Sahara has had to repay or sell, sell off a lot of its assets to repay uh, the investors that uh, the Indian courts ruled should be uh, paid back their money, well over a billion. And these assets include some flagship uh, U.S. properties, including the Plaza Hotel in New York, which was sold, I believe, just over a month ago for uh, somewhere in the order of $600 million to a Qatari wealth fund. 
that was previously owned by Force India's, uh, one of Force India's controlling shareholders. It's had to sell off all of its, a lot of its, not all, but a lot of its assets to repay investors. So really, that guy didn't have, uh, wasn't, wasn't in much of a position to invest in Force India. Then you look at Vijay Malia, who, again, another Indian businessman, was in a very similar situation where um, um, a, uh, a consortium of Indian banks, 13 of them to be precise, um, lent uh, his airline, he had an airline called Kingfisher, lent him a sum also in the order of about $1.3 billion, nothing to do with Sahara, but a huge sum of money. Uh, they lent his airline that, uh, that, that sum of money. Um, the airline got into financial difficulties, was grounded in, around, I think, 2012. Uh, and then Malia moved to, from India to, to England, where he's based at the minute. And then the uh, Indian banks uh, came after him for the money that they, uh, that they lent to the airline and said that it was being squandered. He had no intention of paying it back. Etc. Malia denies the charges. Is due to be extradited to India, but is uh, it was fighting those the extradition charges. The key point here is that the Indian banks got smart and got a freezing order, uh, worldwide freezing order on Malia's assets. Now that included the Force India team, in which wow. he owned a 42.5% stake. Um, and as a result of this freezing order, which is it has been reported, but not widely so, uh, Malia was not in a position to sell the team uh, off his own accord. So you had Sahara that needed to sell its assets, <laughs> quite interestingly, yeah. um, to uh, repay investors. Then you have Malia, who wasn't in a position to uh, sell his assets because there was a freezing order by the banks that claim he owes them money. Now, um, as a result of this, you had both of the controlling shareholders who had dwindling resources, because obviously Malia was his airline had been grounded. That was his principal uh, uh, business. Uh, he had to sell off a load of other um, liquor uh, assets, the investments that he owned um, to uh, raise funds. Um, so both of the investors' resources were dwindling. And then in particular, you had Vijay Malia, who had this freezing order over its assets. So Force India itself couldn't be sold by his, uh, at least not, uh, he couldn't give consent to it. So you had a situation where the, the assets, the resources that the team had were going down and uh, it needed new investment, but it couldn't be sold. So you got into a position where, uh, obviously, the people who uh, the team owed money started suing them. Um, one of them, which was the, um, uh, the tax authority in Britain, uh, tried to shut the team down. And that would have basically meant that it would have closed down immediately. Everybody would have lost their jobs. 405 jobs yeah. would have gone. So what happened is the driver, Sergio Perez, um, he was advised to take a slightly different route because he was also owed money, $4 million. Um, reportedly, uh, so he was advised to take a slightly different route, and what happened is put, they put the team, he put the team into what is called administration. And administration is basically the equivalent of Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the states, where administrators take over control of the team. Um, the objective is to rescue it and to use as best as possible your uh, the assets at your disposal as the administrator, who is then in control of the team, not the previous owners. To, you, to use the assets within the company to pay off creditors. Now, the original intention was to sell the team to, uh, as a go, basically to keep it going as it was, to sell the whole thing lock, stock and barrel. Lawrence Stroll, uh, obviously, as we know, Lawrence Stroll's father, uh, the Tommy Hilfiger uh, entrepreneur, basically, he was key, key to the success of that company. He came in, wanted to buy it because obviously Force India Fifth last year, I believe, in the championship, um, doing very well, whereas Williams, which Lance drives for, right at the back of the grid. So he came in immediately, wanted to buy the whole thing, lock, stock and barrel, but he mm. faced the same problem as Vijay Malia did, that you had this freezing order on Malia's shares. 
And again, this hasn't really been reported in this level of detail yet. Um, so what happened is Stroll, initially it was reported, as you may remember, went into administration 27th of July. It was reported about, I think, I think 11 days later. I could be wrong about the, the timing here, but it was reported within two weeks that Stroll was going to buy the uh, team. Um, and in fact, what happened is that they, that was at the beginning of, uh, somewhere around the beginning of August, um, that Stroll was going to buy the team. Um, to get it to Spa, the deal needed, as in today's race, the deal needed to be done really by the 17th of August to give the team a week to prepare. So it was last Friday, the 17th of August. It became clear rapidly that it was not going to be possible to get consent from the Indian banks who got the freezing order um, to consent to the sale of Force India within that period of time. So they had to chuck out the idea of selling the team uh, lock, stock and barrel to Lawrence Stroll. Instead, mm. Stroll bought the asset. As a result of buying the assets, it had to set up a new company. You start over, yeah. Point, or at least racing point. That's exactly what happened. And Bob's your uncle. That's exactly where we ended today, where you've got the situation where Force India has become racing point. It started over from scratch. And then you suddenly needed the, it suddenly needed an entry. So it needed the FIA to give it an entry. And crucially, it also needed the other teams to approve it to get the prize money payments that Force India had been receiving. And there you go. And that's right up to where we are. And there's where we are today, yeah. And and uh yeah. it's totally ironic to me that they come they go through all of this and then they go in qualifying and lock out the second row. So <laughs> just a yeah. fascinating uh, addition to this story. And then obviously you have a great finish today, but but now where do they go from here and 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 and, and let me ask you this, let me back up just a little bit. So how solvent was the Force India team as a team? No outside money, because we all know that how how it's very difficult to make money in Formula One if you're not if your name's not Ferrari or Mercedes or and even those guys. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I, you know, you may be able to. Say, you may say hardly anybody makes money. But what was the Force India team making money uh, before? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, as you say, because. Um, it was uh, it was doing so uh, it, uh, it was was doing so well um, in terms of being fifth in the championship. Um, you know it, it had significant revenues from prize money, uh, so uh, you know it had that as a revenue stream coming in. Uh, in terms of sponsorship, there are basically three revenue streams: um, sponsorship, prize money, um, and then team owner payments. Um, now, in terms of the team owner payments we've just described, they dried up. Um, for the you know because the controlling shareholders were uh, in financial difficulty, um, sponsorship it wasn't doing blindingly well, and when it came out when the team went uh, basically into Chapter Eleven, uh, it came out that its biggest backer, which is this uh, the, the the water company, the Pink Water Company, uh, that's covering the car, um, it came out that its payment was in the form bizarrely of a loan. Uh, so the uh, it looks like it paid the money up front, and the team was presumably paying it back in a, in a certain sense. It's a very strange deal. We don't yet know the details of it. But the key point is that it's, its main backer was also bizarrely, its main sponsor was also bizarrely owed money. So you have a, a situation <laughs> where it didn't have much, um, it didn't have much uh, income from sponsorship. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the team owners weren't in a position to pay it either. So the main income stream was from prize money and that's significant. Um, you know, a, a very significant sum. It's due for the rest of this year from its performance last year, somewhere in the order of $40 million. So even yeah. though 
it's not, uh, it, it, you know, even though it was in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a bad state in terms of its own finances, it did have that prize money income stream to rely on, which is why it needed the agreement of the other teams. Yeah. Well, hey, Christian, we got to take a quick break. Can you hang on through the through the commercial break? Sure. All right. We'll be back yep, after absolutely. we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Speed City Live in Austin, Texas. Hey, beer people, it's Christine Salas. And I'm Daytona. Salas Brewery is back in Austin and brewing again. Oh, Salas doesn't ring a bell for some of you? Well, for the last 17 years, we've been crafting the perfect comeback. We've returned to our roots with Salas White, a famous local favorite. Plus, we're creating some fresh new brews. And whether it's the first time you've tasted our family's legendary beer, or the millionth, we're thrilled to be back. Swing by your local store, watering hole, or our brewery, and let's catch up over beers. Salas, Austin's original craft brewery. Ambia Gusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only Ambia Gusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by Ambia Gusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. To Caddy Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Talk 1370. Hi, Brendan Hartley. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, when we went to the break, we were talking with Christian Siltz, the founder and contributor to Formula Money and also Forbes Magazine contributor. Been following Christian for years. If you want to know what's happening in the, in the money side of Formula One, the business side, Christian is the guy. So, uh, Christian, we've been talking about the the impact or, or what's happened with the Force India transaction. Yep. And how can this, you know, obviously the Haas team, Gene Haas immediately started and Gunther Steiner started reacting to this story. But but talk about how this can affect, have a domino effect throughout the, uh, throughout the sport with the way this has been interpreted and the way the money is happening. What, what can happen here? Well, I mean, look, I think the key thing here uh, is, as we just said, through that twisting route, it started out for the, the team that was Force India, really, and is now called Racing Point, uh, is a completely new entry. And um, therefore, it didn't have a right uh, to enter, so it needed that from the FIA. And it also was cru- crucial because of its owner's woes, financial woes, it was crucial to get the um, the prize money payments that it was... Uh, uh, that, that Force India was receiving due to its success last year, basically, when it came to this in the championship. Now, to get that, you needed the, uh, it needed the consent of all of the uh, rival teams, so it's nine rivals. Um, that's the amount that, hasn't yet, that is yet to be paid, basically, um, in terms of the outstanding amount from uh, the outstanding balance from the amount that Force India earned in prize money last year, the outstanding balance is somewhere in the order of $40 million. It's a huge sum, really, for even for a Formula One team. It's still a big sum. 
it's somewhere around uh, about a quarter of its annual budget. So it's really a big, big, big sum of money. Yeah. In fact, it may be more. Than, it may well be more than that. Maybe more like a third. It's a, it's a big sum of money. Now, to get that, um, normally what happens when a team is no longer racing, like Force India, because the new team, Force uh, um, Racing Point is a new entry, what normally happens when a team isn't racing is that the prize money that it uh, accrued and earned last year will be divided between the other teams, the other nine teams, which is why uh, Racing Point needed their consent to get the the outstanding balance of prize money. Now, what is not really uh, uh, easy to understand is the fact that the other nine teams gave their consent. And yeah. I didn't think that would happen uh, at all. I didn't think there was a chance in hell of that happening. Because the bottom line is, if you divide that 40 million by nine, which is what the other teams would have got each uh, equally, um, it comes to some of something like four and a half million dollars. Now, we all know that the, the last place team, Williams, is struggling uh, financially. Um, you know, that's, that's no secret. And, and in particular, at the end of this year, it's losing its title sponsor, Martini. Um, crucially, of course, Racing Point comes on the scene and uh, uh, owned by uh, Lawrence Stroll, or at least he's one of the owners, and uh, that makes a perfect uh, vehicle for his son Lance Stroll, who's currently putting money into Williams. So <laughs> Williams, to me, was the last team that you would have expected to vote for that. But if you'd listened to comments from Claire Williams in the press conference uh, the other day, uh, once you know this deal had been announced, she was all over the moon about it, glowing. So I can only imagine that uh, Lawrence Stroll um, or this consortium has uh, come to a financial agreement with Williams and uh, bailed them out. Grease um, the skids. Uh, exactly yeah. thoughts. Yeah, by the looks of it, um, that's the only inter- logical interpretation. Um, and why the other teams voted to basically give away four, uh, four and a half million dollars is bizarre. Who knows? I mean, I, I think it's you couldn't uh, could get my, nineteen my inter- of them to choose what kind of pizza they're going to have in a meeting. I mean, I don't. Yeah, how do they I, do this? I, well, I and in particular. I think Williams, this reeks to me of the old mobster days of the New York City <laughs> waste disposal business well, <laughs> here. I'll take care of you and you're going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the there is a, a, a deeper undercurrent, which is that one of the creditors of Force India was uh, Mercedes, which was owed something like $15 million um, in terms of its engine supply. Uh, now, you then have to start to ask questions. Well, if Force India didn't get, or if Racing Point didn't get the prize money, um, where's it going to get make up that shortfall from? Because if you think about it, the prize money is there uh, going in as a revenue stream uh, to the team, and then you've got a situation where it's paying out where it's paying out Mercedes. What they don't want is for uh, and, and in particular because that's a continued a continued client of Mercedes to the extent that if if Racing Point was not to have gone racing, then Mercedes, although it was owed money, it would also uh, lose it, the opportunity to make money from that team in future in terms of engine supply. So you have a situation where Mercedes uh, had an interest in racing point continuing. So perhaps if it hadn't have got that prize money, there would have been an argument that Mercedes may have uh, have covered the costs itself, whether it was a, in terms of reduced engine supply, in terms of cost, reduced cost engine supply, or perhaps other uh, other uh, uh, technical assistance to make up, basically, to, to, to make up the difference in the prize money, which it wouldn't have got if the other teams had not agreed. Now, the other teams, many of the other teams, do not want a situation where uh, a manufacturer is basically has basically got a B team, as has been, Haas has been accused of with Ferrari, as Toro Rosso and uh, 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 Rebel Racing are obviously uh, kind of well-known to be. What, the, what many of the other teams, Renault in particular, don't want because they don't have this B-team uh, uh, agreement, really, or relationship 
what they don't want is for uh, Mercedes to come on and effectively take uh, take um, uh, Racing Point under its wings. So there's a possibility that the team said, OK, well, we'll let it stand on its two feet by giving it its prize money so that in that way, Mercedes doesn't have to uh, to bail it out. That's the only way I can look at that one, because otherwise it doesn't really make much sense. Uh, I know it's fascinating. I, I don't get how all this happened. But, you know, this this begs the question. Jonathan Green and I were talking about this the other day and. And the way Formula One goes about it, it it's it, there right now. If you're not a top three team, I mean, you're not going to win races. You're not going to make a bunch of money. But what about this is a crazy thing. I know I know this. But what about the way it's done in American sports here where like the NBA, the NFL, they all have a way to make the teams that aren't doing well do well by the draft where if yeah. you if you're if you're last then you get first pick in the draft. And in the, in the NBA, it's a lottery, but you it's close to the same thing. Could we do something like this in, in Formula One to help? You know, Because we've always got these teams at the bottom that are always struggling and struggling financially, struggling in the race. And it's just, it just seems like if there was something, do you have, is there any way we could make something like this? Free pass to Q2? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, actually, I think there is. Um, I don't think it's as simple as the draft, unfortunately, but I think a lot of this, um, uh, a lot of the issues, I mean, as I'm sure you know, you're long-standing followers of Formula One. You'll know over the years, all sorts of weird and wonderful suggestions have been made in terms of putting top drivers at the end of the year in cars at the back of the grid, in terms of reverse grids, all this sort of stuff. And actually, when push comes to shove, I think the draft is, you know, the idea of a draft in Formula One for a number of reasons, I don't think it would work so easily. And, you know, there's relegation in Formula One. It's been talked about going from relegation from GP2 to Formula One, which really, just given the differences in scale, is just not viable either. I think, actually, the uh, the scope for uh, introducing the kind of random aspect that you get through the draft and, and, and the uh, the benefits that that uh, um, uh, generates, I think, really, actually, they need to look at qualifying. Um, because, actually, obviously, a race is a race. There's not that much except for shortening it and maybe breaking it up. If that's the direction you decide to go down, that's that's something that could be done. But qualifying, you have a really, if you think about it, the end of the year finances are generated by the derived from the places in the standing. The places in the standing are derived from the race results. Really, what sets the race results is qualifying. Now, if you can make and qualifying really kind of is a format that could be, I think there's much more flexibility without pissing too many people off to change qualifying than the race. And so, you know, personally for me, I think really they need to look at qualifying in a more uh, perhaps a more uh, commercial model. What if you were to do qualifying, and we've talked about just different approaches. Uh, for one, always it always frustrates me that uh, cars go into the pit before qualifying is over, and they just sit there and, and, you know, wait for a chance to get out and do their two flying laps, and they're done with it. always felt like, what if we averaged your lap times all the way through qualifying, or maybe... Who had the the most consistent lap times all the way through qualifying? You have to stay on track and yeah. things like that. Well, I mean, if you think about it, going back to the draft, though, um, the key thing with the draft, or at least element, an, an element that I think is core to the draft is uncertainty in the sense of you're obviously bringing new, uh, new talent in, but there's also an element to an extent of randomness in it. And as I said, you know, Formula One, I think the, the, the suggestions you've, you've made there are... Um, uh, very logical and to the extent that they would make it more meaningful. But I think part of the problem is the more meaningful that you make Formula One, in other words, saying, well, 
let's kind of make performance count. I think that all that happens there is you will still eventually find the big, the top manufacturers, the Ferraris, Mercedes, etc., dominating. I think actually you need to make it an element of it more random. I don't think it should go down in the direction of the um, reverse grids or drive yeah. switching, which yeah. really is really impossible. Because, you know, people, that's just a magnet, really, or a magnet. It's a lightning rod for people to complain. However, if you look at it in terms of uh, soccer, football here in the, in the UK, soccer, mm-hmm. um, they have a, um, uh, I don't think it exists in, uh, in the States, but they have a system, which I believe is called the pools, where basically they draw out of a hat the, um, who will play who in the opening games of the season. Well, Christian, we're, we're, now, just about, we're just about out of time, but... Maybe you're right. Maybe some sort of random. Oh, yeah. I mean, gee, there, there's there's no one's going to be happy. It's going to be a complete meltdown from everybody. But, well, Christian, yeah. hey, we are out of time. I appreciate you coming on. Christian. Got to come back. Yeah. Uh, Christian Silta, Formula Money, Forbes contributor, fantastic follow. If you don't follow him on Twitter, and go to FormulaMoney.com. Christian, thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. No problem. Looking forward to it next time. All Take right. Care. Talk to you Thank soon. You. All right, we're going to wrap up the show. Check out our website, speedcitybroadcast.com, and uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. All our shows and all our content are up on the website. We will talk to you next week. Ciao, y'all. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.